Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. going to discuss a really difficult topic that some dog owners may face throughout their lifetime. Behavioral euthanasia is an unfathomable decision for any dog owner or dog lover, but is far more common than we discuss in society. So let's dig in. Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. So today we are going to discuss behavioral euthanasia. So we'll start off this episode by saying that this is obviously a very challenging topic. Um, So we'll give a bit of a disclaimer that if you have had an experience related to behavioral euthanasia, that this might be a really difficult episode for you to listen to. So just something to consider. Um, And if you are considering behavioral euthanasia, this episode is not meant to be a tool for decision making. Um, Behavioral euthanasia is a decision that should always be decided in consultation with multiple professionals, um, including your vet, behavioral um, therapist, trainers, um, whatever that looks like for you. So to get us started, let's talk about what behavioral euthanasia is. So Mackenzie, what, what what do we mean when we say behavioral euthanasia? Yeah, I feel like this is something that is just not brought up um, a lot in the dog owner world. Um, It's looked at as being something very negative. Um, But what it really means is um, behavioral euthanasia is the term used for humanely ending a dog's life because of severe behavioral issues. So um, me personally, when I think of behavioral euthanasia, I think of a dog that you have literally gone to the ends of the earth to try and help. You have gone to multiple trainers. You have um, tried to rehabilitate rehabilitate the dog in whatever capacity you can. Um, And unfortunately, the dog just is not responsive to what you're trying to do. So i.e. it's bitten multiple people. it has other behavioral issues maybe that causes, um, you know, destructive behaviors within a home. Some people cannot live with that um, or know how to, um, you know, really help the dog. Um, but I think really what it comes down to is um, a lot of the times is aggression. What do you yeah. think, Justine? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was kind of reading up and planning out this episode and, and doing some research, um, it seems like, and, and from what I read online, there's a lot of misconception as to what um, behavioral euthanasia looks like. And I think in a lot of cases, 
what we might see in the media or what we might hear about or, you know, is portrayed in like film and, and movies that, you know, a dog bites somebody and we put them down. That's not what behavioral euthanasia typically looks like. Has that happened? I'm sure it absolutely has. Um, I'm sure there's lots of folks that have taken kind of the one and done mentality, um, but that is not the intent behind behavioral euthanasia. Um, It is meant to be a last resort. And that's something we're going to talk about in the first half of today's episode is we're going to talk about what is behavioral euthanasia and what is it not? Um, And I think unpacking this a little bit um, helps us to offer maybe some compassion towards people who are maybe struggling with this decision or have had to grapple with this in the past. Um, Because I think for anybody who makes the decision to become a dog owner, um, this is not a decision that comes lightly. And this is not a decision that is in any way, shape or form easy for anybody to make. Um, So yeah, so let's dive into what what behavioral euthanasia is and what it isn't. So Ken's get us started. What is behavioral euthanasia? If we're to break it down a little bit deeper. So like mentioned, it's a last resort option when there are significant safety concerns for either humans or other dogs a lot of the time. Um, Yeah, safety in regards to dog to other dogs, humans, and just the community in general. Um, you know, I'm in my head, I picture a, a dog that is like lunging at individuals or other dogs with like, you know, snarling teeth. And yes, a lot of the time, most of the time that is a training issue. But if you have gone to trainers to try and help that dog, and that dog, again, is just not, you know, it's not clicking, then there's something else going on in the dog's brain that may or may not be able to be fixed. Yeah. Um, And I think, I think typically behavioral euthanasia is a response to true and severe aggression, because I think aggression is a word that we toss around pretty lightly in the dog world. Agreed. And, And it's, Often the things we see that we label as aggression, they're actually not. Um, You know, a lot of like reactivity behaviors, people will label as aggression. And in most cases, those actually are not instances of aggression. There may be instances of overexcitement or or frustration or fear. Absolutely. But they're not, it's not true aggression. That dog does not have an intent to harm someone or something. They're just maybe overstimulated or overwhelmed. And the way they respond to that is through, you know, barking and maybe they sound scary, but it's not that that true and severe aggression. And I think the key part is that often when we're turning to behavioral euthanasia, that dog is unlikely to respond to rehabilitation. And in some cases, the dog might also be incredibly unpredictable and there's no pattern Mm-hmm. to their aggression. So you can't you can't identify that okay, my dog displays signs of aggression when X happens, so I'm going to prevent X from happening to keep my dog and other people or other dogs safe. Yeah, this is a big one and again, removing that predictability, you you as a human have no idea when shit's going to go down. Like no idea. Um, 
And this kind of goes into the last point that we have here is it's an option when the dog's quality of life has decreased so much that euthanasia might be the only option. So if you do have an unpredictable dog and you are afraid to bring it places or it lives in a crate or in a room with the most of its life and gets zero interaction with humans, that doesn't help the case um, a lot of the time. So that dog just lives a miserable life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a, a good segue into what uh, behavioral euthanasia is not. So it is not something that you would do if your dog is struggling with pretty typical behavioral challenges that I think many of us have to deal with and train out of our dog. Um, so whether that's jumping up, barking, mouthing, reactivity, sometimes resource guarding. I will say sometimes resource guarding can be pretty serious, but there's also lots of mechanisms um, in many cases to prevent that from becoming a ginormous issue that would lead to behavioral euthanasia. So I think it's just important to highlight that um, if you just have a, maybe a more difficult dog, um, behavioral euthanasia is not likely the answer. Um, and it's also behavioral, behavioral, I knew I was going to mess up saying that at some point, it's such a mouthful. Behavioral euthanasia is not a response to a single incident of aggression or a response to a single bite incident. There are so many factors that need to go into that. Yes. Like we chatted about a bit before, um, you know, I'm sure, unfortunately, there are instances out there where individuals have had something happen. So i.e. a dog bites a child. And then they say, you know what, that's it. You know, dog can't fix it. Dog needs to be put down. It's horrible. And it's, it happens, I know for a fact, a lot, especially in the United States. Yeah. I know it happens here in Canada, but especially in the States, um, we see this a lot. Um, and uh, it's it's really unfortunate, but um, the idea that we are trying to push home here is that it is you know there are so many other things going on a lot of the times that yeah this this is a last resort and um, unfortunately like I said there are a lot of dogs that don't get that opportunity um, but the idea of this. And when vets talk about it, it is, you know, or, or trainers, it is a last resort. Yeah. And I think like when we're talking about like a single bite incident, I think as a dog owner, we have to take a step back and say, you know, what just happened? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Marshall has bit me and Marshall has bit you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and on both occasions, we both took a step back and said, oh, I fucked up. Exactly. We looked at the situation and we said, what did we do wrong as yes. humans? What did we do wrong? We didn't look at Marshall and say, you're a bad dog. We, we, we took a step back. We calmed our brains for a second and we replayed the situation in our heads and went through different scenarios of why that would have happened. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that we have learned th throughout yeah. our dog ownership years and through training our dogs, etc. But, um, you know, I know there for a fact, there are a lot of people out there that don't have the patience that we do. Yeah. Yeah. So taking a step back and saying, you know, what did I do wrong as a human that led to this happening? And I also think it depends on like the degree of the bite. Mm -hmm. Was it, 
Was it a, you know, a tooth scrape or was it like a proper clamp and puncture Mm -hmm. that required stitches? Because that is very different. Um, There's, yeah, there's just so many factors when we're talking about bites, but just really wanted to highlight that it typically, this shouldn't be a response to one single incident unless you are being advised by, you know, multiple professionals to say, you know, I, I think this is the best decision. So yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to hammer home here. So now we have a good understanding of what behavioral euthanasia is and isn't. So let's take a quick break and come back to talk about some of the considerations someone might be thinking of if they've are faced with this decision. Welcome back to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. Today, we are talking about behavioral euthanasia. In the first half of today's episode, we unpacked what behavioral euthanasia is and what it isn't. The reason we decided to talk about this topic is really because um, this can be a very stigmatizing and alienating experience for many dog owners. And it's actually a lot more common than we might think. Um, A few scrolls on popular dog subs on Reddit, and you will find a myriad of heartbreaking stories related to behavioral euthanasia. And that was really the reason why we wanted to try to kind of unpack this. Um, So, I I mean, if you know someone who is considering behavioral euthanasia with their dog, try to offer compassion rather than judgment. Um, This is really an impossible decision for any dog owner. And these folks, you know, should always be met with kindness. Yes, I have a quick story time. So my first experience and hearing about behavioral euthanasia was with a dog breeder. So she had multiple dogs in the home. And um, I'm not going to lie, um, didn't spend the time with each dog that you know, when it comes to training and manners and things like that. But this dog did have a history of attacking other dogs unprovoked. So what was happening was this one particular dog would, they'd be in the backyard um, and this dog would just own in on one other dog and attack to draw blood and puncture stitches. This happened on multiple occasions. Now you would think that maybe, um, that dog should have been not let out with the pack of other dogs after the first few instances. Um, but being, um, in a multi-dog household and I'm, I'm talking about like 10 plus dogs, um, then, uh, and she was one person, then you, you just, she, she just never did that. So the dog was two years old and it was put down. And I remember her telling me this, Cause I asked, Oh, where's so-and-so? And she said, Oh, well I put him down because he did this, 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 and this. And in my head, the first thing I thought of was what WTF? Like what, why would you do that? This poor dog. Yeah. 
Um, yes, she, in my opinion, um, we're still friends and we've had conversations about this, but in my opinion, yes, she should have, you know, gone through, you know, seeking help or rehoming the dog to a home where the individual was willing to help the dog or is put into a rescue situation. There are many, many other factors, but she said, nope. This happened more than once. Um, this dog I can't use for breeding. I am going to put this dog down. And that's what breaks my heart that this, uh, going back to like breeders and bad stigma around them, um, this is unfortunately my one in experience with behavioral euthanasia. And um, yeah, I was very judgmental at first about it and still a little and bitter about it. So, And I feel like it's those types of situations where the person maybe didn't take all of the steps and considerations that they possibly could have prior to um, turning to behavioral euthanasia. And I think it's those things that really give behavioral euthanasia that stigma when um, in cases when it really is the last option. So um Yeah, I think it's okay to challenge people and I think it's okay to offer, you know, alternatives and suggestions. Um, But yeah, trying to offer kindness and compassion when we can. Um, But let's talk about some of the things that somebody might be thinking of or exploring or considering if behavioral euthanasia is on the table. So the first thing is, are their behaviors manageable? So how much do you have to micromanage your dog's life to ensure that they and those around them, whether they be animals or humans, are safe? And do you as the owner have the skills, the knowledge, the time, the resources to manage these issues? And are you using all the necessary tools? So have you tried muzzles? Have you tried muzzle training? Are you crate training? Are you doing a lot of on leash work. Like there's just, there's so many fantastic tools available to us as dog owners that we can use to improve our dog's quality of life. I mean, I truly believe that a muzzle is a quality of life tool. A muzzle allows a dog who otherwise might not be safe to go out in public to go out in public and enjoy their lives in a way that is safe for them and other dogs. And that's amazing. I completely agree. I, you know, kudos to those out there that do muzzle their dogs again for the protection of the dog and others. Um, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Um, yes, your dog looks a little mean, but you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Right. But your dog still can, you know, there's lots of dogs that come out to not lots, but there's several dogs that come out to Lily's um, pack walks on Sundays that have muzzles. And they walk alongside other dogs and they still get that engagement and that enrichment. And that's amazing. Yep. Agreed. And this goes for all types of tools, um, even prong collars, you know, any tool that um, is available um, exists for a reason and none of them are meant to hurt the dog or to, to, you know, it, it's meant to better the dog's quality of life. So. Yep. Absolutely. So what is the next thing someone might be, you know, thinking about or considering? So like we touched on in the first half, is the dog's behavior predictable? This is, I think, one of like the top, well, it is one of the top reasons for for what we're talking about. Is the dog's behavior predictable? Yes. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. You as a human can see things before they happen sometimes. 
However, if it's the opposite, if it's not predictable, then that's where, you know, trouble can, can come up. So Marshall, as an example, um, just from visiting Justine's home, sometimes I come in and Marshall is happy and excited and um, he settles down within a few minutes. But then (laughs) other days I come in and he takes maybe 20 minutes to a half an hour to settle down. Um, He's similar around food. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, food with, and, and having a dog that does have challenges with resource guarding. Um, I am a huge advocate that resource guarding is like first and foremost about prevention. So you, if you have a dog that resource guards, preventing that behavior from ever happening is numero uno. People will tell you, oh, I should be able to stick my hand in my dog's food. Why? No. no. I don't want someone to stick their hand in my food. Get away from my food, man. <laughs> that one that one kills right? me. Exactly. Like, no. No, right? Like do- resource guarding is actually very instinctual because in the wild when dogs were wolves, they, you know, would get food. <laughs> And they would have to keep it safe and get to eat it for brief stints. And, you know, this is all I have right now. Don't take this away from me. So it is very primitive and instinctual for them. So with Marshall, we don't interrupt him when he's eating food. And we educate people who are around him. Everyone who knows Marshall knows that if Marshall has food, you leave him alone. Mm -hmm. And I can now, we've gotten to a place where I can, he can be eating his breakfast and if I right, walk right past him and my foot brushes his paw, he doesn't do anything because he trusts me because we have built a trust that you are eating and I'm not going to bug you. Yeah. If another person did that, I think it would be a different story. But his behavior is predictable. I know that if I go to take something, if I go to take food away from him when he's eating it, he is going to snarl, snap, whatever that looks like. Probably not bite right away, but he's going to tell me to get away from his food. Mm-hmm. So how behavior, how behavior, Ooh. how predictable is the behavior and what can you do to prevent it? That's a big piece, I think, when you're making this decision. Yep. Agreed. Um, the next one is around health. So are there health issues that are contributing to what is happening? Are they treatable? Medications? I mean, I think like it's just something to talk to your vet about. There are definitely certain neurological conditions. I mean, like I'm not a vet, but I know that there are conditions. If your dog's in pain, um, that can definitely result in aggression. Um, If your dog is in pain, they can become a totally different dog. Yes, they can. Um, It can be scary. Um, That's why you should have a muzzle and a first aid kit so that you can keep your dog safe if you're ever giving them treatment when they're hurt. But just, you know, I would say first step is always rule out any health issues that could be contributing to any signs of aggression. Um, And maybe there are medications that can help or treatment depending on what's going on. This one reminds me of anxiety as well. Some some dogs with high anxiety are more non-predictable as well. Um, And that, again, is just you as a human diving into what is the bottom root cause of what is happening. We are able to do that. Our dogs are not. So um, there can be many, many factors that a vet um, or a trainer um, or the combination of the two can, can help with. Um, 
The next one uh, is, is rehoming an option. So I think a lot of people, um, again, they see a behavioral issue when it comes to something like aggression and they say, my dog isn't fixable. Um, maybe again, like we had been chatting about before, maybe you just don't have the time or resources or, or, or patience. That's okay. That's okay. Maybe there's somebody out there who, who does. Um, and you, you know, like it's, it's not, it can be embarrassing. Um, but it's not a bad option for your dog. Yeah. I think especially if you're dealing with this and if you have kids in the home and if you know that, um, you know, this isn't working because my children, I feel like my children are at risk, then maybe rehoming is an option into a home that doesn't have children because children are unpredictable. (laughs) So when when you're dealing with an unpredictable dog, you might have a bad mixture if you have an unpredictable child. So, um, Again, rehoming. Maybe that's something we should talk about on a podcast episode sometime. Because again, I think that's something else that carries a lot of stigma that shouldn't. Um, this next one is super important. Did your dog come from a rescue or from a breeder? Because if your dog came from a rescue, that rescue might want that dog back. You might have signed paperwork that said if at any point you're going to rehome this dog or if at any point you don't want this dog anymore, then you need to give it back to us. This is same with a reputable breeder. If you've yeah. purchased your dog from an ethical, reputable breeder, they probably have gone through the same piece where you sign a contract that the dog comes back to them under any circumstance. Yeah. So that's a huge consideration um, before you even think about taking this step is where did your dog come from? Um, I think making sure that you had discussions with a vet and a trainer and maybe a vet behaviorist or an animal behaviorist, if you have access to one, um, to my knowledge in Canada, these are very rare. Um, and to actually have the proper credentials to call yourself a behaviorist, um, it's you have to have a very advanced education. So um, make sure you look into proper credentials with that and that you are seeing a true behaviorist. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the last thing to really look at when we're talking about behavioral euthanasia is the dog's quality of life. It's ultimately what's it about, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, where, you know, w- what does the dog's life look like in the future, you know, weighing all these pros and cons, all of these options, um, behavioral euthanasia is the last resort, as we've said a few times throughout this podcast. Um, but it, it just, yeah, it really just comes down to, is the dog going to live a okay life? If not, you know, for whatever reason, um, that is inlaid within the dog, then that's something to, consider. But as you can tell, someone grappling with this decision is likely considering 75,000 other alternatives all at once. So when this has been, or when this is brought up, listen with compassion. And if you know someone going through this, then ask how you can offer support. I think that's um, the only thing that uh, someone can do in an instance like this. So let's take a quick break and we will be right back.
you've been listening to the Dog Friendly KW podcast, and today we've been talking about behavioral euthanasia, a very heavy topic and a decision that no dog owner wants to make. So before we wrap up today, we wanted to share a support group on Facebook called Losing Lulu um, for those who have had an experience with behavioral euthanasia. So this is not a decision-making support group. It's a support group um, for those who have had an animal euthanized or die um, for behavioral reasons. So they're an an after-the-fact grief support group, um, and it's meant to be a supportive community for Um, to really engage with people who understand what you're going through. Um, And that's on Facebook, Losing Lulu. So if you look that up, you'll be able to um, find that resource if you need it. We appreciate you listening and starting to unpack this complex and devastating issue of behavioral euthanasia. Thank you for tuning in today to the Dog Friendly KW podcast. Until next time. Father